You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Acts. Just while you're doing that, it's a reminder that we're doing a series on the nations. The nations. I find it fascinating, don't you, how often this is in the news. Even this week, the whole thing of immigration. Um, I'd like to put a positive spin on it. I think the reality is numbers are going up because so many Brits love living here. They just don't want to leave. And I think, isn't it great? It's in the news. Let's be honest. If we think about the nations, we all love traveling. I'm chatting to someone today. They're jumping on a plane this afternoon. I read this week that there are 32.7 million visitors to the UK in one year. That's like half the population come and visit in one year. We love going abroad as well. Spain is our top destination and we spend on average 10.5 nights. I'm not sure if that's only half a night sleeping because you're on the beach. But the whole thing is we just love traveling. Ealing loves the nations. Why do I say that? Because the Ealing Equality Council that was established in 1963, it started in Southall as the International Friendship Association. It was formed of local people, churches in 1963, trade unions. Its slogan was this, you're welcome here. So actually it's something that as a a community we've thought loads about. In fact, the motto for the Ealing Borough is progress with unity. And so we've done this series, and this is week four. The first week we looked at nations in the Old Testament. The second week we looked at nations in the New Testament. Then last week we had um, Christopher Singh who took us on a journey around the world. I'll be speaking today. Next week we've got a church planter flying in from South Africa. Been an exciting morning. And the week after that we've got a church planter flying in from Tanzania. And just this whole sense of, wow, the nations together. But I'm going to be speaking, and I'm going to the New Testament again. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Jesus has died on the cross. He's been resurrected. He spent 40 days with his disciples. And he says, actually, I've got a massive job for you guys to do. But you must wait. Wait, Acts 1, it says here in verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I I love this scripture. You know, it's almost like Jesus has said, and if you know anything about the words of Jesus, he said, I've got this huge commission for you. I want you literally to go to the ends of the earth, but first I want you to wait. Why are you to wait? Wait for my power to come upon you. And what's the reason for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us? Well, there's a purpose in all of this. It says here that you're to be the witnesses of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But if you read the Bible or you've been to church before, you know that Jerusalem was the city that they were in. So they were to be a witness in the city that they were in. You know that Judea was the surrounding area. They were to make an impact with the good news on the surrounding area. You know that Samaria was the semi-hated foreigners. 
The Samaritans were those Jews that had married people outside of the Jewish faith and was considered not good. And he said, not only do I want you to win your city, not only do I want you to win the area, I want you to win those that you might not consider your friends. And then just to sum it all up, he says, in fact, I want you to go everywhere to everyone. This is what Jesus had said. And if you read the whole book of Acts, and there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, you know that basically in the first seven chapters, it's all about reaching the city for Jesus. And then we read in chapter 8 that they basically impact Judea and Samaria. And then we can read in chapter 9 onwards that Paul is basically heading to Rome, which was considered the ends of the earth. And so it's almost like the whole book plays this out. And many people would say that Acts 29 is still being written now. And that's Redeemer. You know, there's almost this picture. Come on, this is what we are called to do. We see this in the book of Acts. We see these like hinge moments. We see this amazing turnaround. You could read about it in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, who, who was one of the disciples of Jesus who was leading the church in Jerusalem, he falls asleep. Sleep is a godly thing, obviously. He falls asleep and he has this dream, a vision from God. And in this vision, you know, all these animals come down on the sheet and, and this voice says, get up and kill and eat. He says, no, no, I couldn't do that. These, these animals are bad. They're wrong. The sheet disappears. happens three times. And then there's this understanding. Oh, no, what God is saying, actually, you, are, you can take the gospel to all. How do we know that? Because we know in Acts 10 that he goes off to Cornelius. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This was a pivotal moment. It's almost like it doesn't matter what nation. This is not just the, the, the council of Ealing saying, everyone welcome. This is in the Bible. They suddenly realize the good news is for all. I love this, don't you? Do you have favorites? Obviously, I'm a parent, so I could never admit to having a favorite. My daughter is in Uganda. I keep telling you stories. She, she works in this township and... There's a tragic situation of this kid whose who's dad, I, I don't wish to describe, but the mum was working all the time, and the kid fell asleep in a sofa, and the sofa caught fire. And so my daughter goes and sees him, and, and his whole arm is all burnt down here, and all his leg is burnt. His name is called Divine. And she ends up taking him to hospital. And I mean, she sent me this picture, and I thought I'd put it up there. I, I can't even look at it myself. And they're literally peeling the clothes off this wound. And she paid to go back and back to the hospital. Somebody visited us from the, the organization she's with and said, that kid would not be alive if your daughter had not done that. She said to me, he is my favorite, Dad. It's so easy, isn't it, to have favorites? God has no favorites. Even when we're singing this morning, you might think, look at the person next to you and think, oh, I'm sure God likes them. They look like they're really singing. They've got their eyes closed and their hands out. They're listening. But the Bible says God has no favorites. We are all welcome. You're all welcome. Wow. I mean, that, that just seems miraculous, doesn't it? But I, I, I don't deserve it, Pete. You don't know what I've done. 
don't need to. This is the message we see in the Bible. And that we are therefore to take this wonderful news to every nation. Ralph Winter, he's a missiologist. That means talks lots about being on mission. He says the Bible is not the basis of missions. Missions is the basis of the Bible. I think I don't even know if I fully understand that, but it sounds quite a good sound bite, doesn't it? And in this age of Twitter, we want to try and throw them out. What are we trying to say? Actually, if we are caught up in this whole journey that I want us to see, surely it is good news to the nations. The gospel is great news. How could I say that? Well, if you read the New Testament, there's 27 books of the New Testament, about 13 of them, 14 of them, were written by this guy called Paul. And some would say that his Mount Everest was Romans. And if you look right at the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, he almost launches this Everest, this great book, and says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So he's launching into this great book, and he says, the purpose of this book is the nations. We want the nations to know. And then if you jump to chapter 16, there are only 16 chapters in the book, Paul ends by saying this, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So what Paul said is, hey, I want, if you really understand this, this mountain of the gospel, you'll understand that at the beginning and the end, there's a sense of nations. And we've tried to say other weeks, this is not some political thing. This is a God thing. Oh, wow. We have got to be start thinking, what about the nations? Nina Guntner, she was the head of the, the lead church of Nazarene. She said, if you take missions out of the Bible, you won't have anything left but the covers. I think that's a challenging one, isn't it? All you've got left is the covers. I don't know about you. You know, I always think, oh, this is the Bible. She's saying, you just have the cover left. Because she was saying that mission to the nations is so integral to the whole thing. Well, obviously, on a Sunday morning, I want us to think, is that true? Is missions really that important? Well, I think if we looked at the life of Jesus, we'd discover that it would be. In many respects, we know that, that the final words of Jesus were called the Great Commission. It's at the end of Matthew. There's four gospel accounts, four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at the end of Matthew, in chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, we read this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. Jesus has got this whole thing. Actually, we're not supposed to just have one favorite. We're to go to the nations. Wow. I mean, that's how big our view should be as a church. That's the, that's the journey we're caught up on. Taking the good news to the nations. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China. He died in 1905 at the age of 73. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Think about that. It's not an option to be considered. 
It's a command. Now, in our day and age, we don't like to think a lot about commands, do we? I was trying to think what would be the best example. Let's say the speed limit. You know what I'm saying? It's not really meant to be an option. It's meant to be a command, isn't it? The idea is they say 70, you know, well, you're meant to do 70, aren't you? And if you don't do it, you could get fined or points. It's a bit like my kids, you know what I'm saying? Once a month, they had to clean their room. If you don't clean your room, you don't get your pocket money. I'm, I'm not just throwing this out as, let's talk about this. Do it. I wonder if that's how God feels about the Great Commission. I wonder how we take it. Oswald S. Chambers, he was a Scottish Baptist evangelist. He said, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Whoa, that's a hard one, isn't it? So I suddenly think, as a church, I love meeting with you guys on a Sunday. I consider it a real privilege to be a part of Redeemer. I love it, looking around, think, oh, this is family. But I think, have we forfeited our right to exist? Or are we caught up on mission to the nations of the earth? Because surely that's what it should be about. John Piper, he's an author and pastor in the States. He says this, go, send, or disobey. Go, send, or disobey. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations with him. So when I became a Christian... This is part of the package that I signed up for. I find this breathtaking. Think about Jesus for a moment. We know that he lived 2,000 years ago. We know that he was born in an obscure village. We know that he was the child of a peasant woman. We know that he grew up in another obscure village. We know that he worked in a carpenter shop. We know that he didn't really visit a big city. We know that he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. But actually, we know that the nations were in him. Henry Martin, uh, Martin, sorry, he's a missionary to India. He says, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Why do I say all of this? Why? Because actually Jesus had something in him that although he lived local, he thought international. And we can read about that in Matthew. This was the, the gospel that I, I quoted earlier. Matthew chapter 12 says this. Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah wrote this book in the Old Testament. It's recorded there now, 66 chapters, big book, big prophetic guy. He said this, here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So although Jesus came and you could say that he lived a very local life, there was this prophetic word that he would impact the nations and he was part of this big international story. 
Why do I say that? Well, if it, the Bible, I believe, is one book. I know you could say that it's all 66 books there together. But actually, we often see threads that run through it. And it's almost like God says, this is the theme. This is the theme. Well, one of the themes that runs the whole way through the book is I want you to go to the nations. Starts with Abraham. Abraham, you know, Genesis 12, you can read it. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Abraham, you know, there was this call that actually I'm going to make you the father of a nation that will be a blessing to the nations. You see, they were never called to be a people that just sat there and blessed themselves. They were always called to be this people that will bring blessing to others. We know that, and I just quoted Isaiah, and I've got another quote from Isaiah here. Isaiah, book in the Old Testament, says in chapter 12, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim his exalted, sing praise to the Lord for he's done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Isaiah prophesied to the people, and he was saying, Look, come on, you've got to remember, remember the big picture. See, the danger was the people of God could get their heads down. Some of the time he wrote to them that it was real trouble. In fact, many would say that Isaiah reflects the the whole Bible, the first 39 chapters. It was all a bit doom and gloom. And then the second 27 chapters tend to bring a bit of hope. And he's almost saying, I know your head gets down. I know that life feels tough. I know that you can feel like I'm not getting through. He says, come on, remember, God has said to you, we're to go to the nations. Some of us, we still ask the question, what's my life really all about? The Freedom in Christ course that started on Wednesday night always starts with that, doesn't it? Security, significance, acceptance. Where do we get it from? What's my life all about? If you are a believer, you are caught up in this journey to impact the nations. The book of Psalms, the hymn book of their day, they didn't have words projected like this. It says this, ask of me in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. It was almost saying, come on, people of God, we've got to sing about this. We've just got to think bigger. Think bigger. I still think this can be a challenge. Let's be honest, we travel so much. Let's be, if I ask you to put up your hands now, put up your hand if you were not born in this nation. Okay, put your hands down. Put your hand up if you've ever left this nation on a holiday. Okay, I shouldn't do this. This will get me in trouble. The next piece of people who put up their hands will never come back. I understand that right now. Put up your hand if you've never left this nation. Very few nowadays. Most of us travel. I was 18 before I ever left this nation. I grew up in a small town in Sussex, never went abroad. But most of us, you know, I can't remember, 99% of us, we've traveled. We've done something. We've been day trip to France, been to Africa, been to Canada, America, Australia. Who knows? And yet, I would say the challenge is this. We have a smaller view of the world than Jesus Because our social media makes the world about ourselves. And his understanding of the world was it was to go to the end, the word to go to the end of the nations. 80% of what we put on social media is about ourselves. So although many of us have traveled and traveled regularly, we can still end up having a small world view. 
But if we look at the Bible, there should be this worldview that says, bang, think the nations. John Stott, he was an evangelical leader in the UK, says this, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. I love that, don't you? You know what I'm saying? You think, think the nations. This has been true of the church throughout church history. So church history basically takes from the New Testament till now. So over 2,000 years, you could say, people have often thought, how do we take this message? If we just looked at modern church history, William Carey, some called him the father of modern missions. He went to India and ended up forming the Baptist Missionary Society only because nobody else would send him. He said this, to know the will of God, you need an open Bible and an open map. Ah, it's literally, God, what about the nations? What about your word? That was his two things. He said, if we're going to understand that God at all, we have the Bible open and we have our map open. William Booth, he was the founder of the Salvation Army. I know it started here in London. If you read his life, radical. Their first thing was blood and fire. I mean, that's what it was all about. It was all about the cross, and it was all about the Holy Spirit. And I mean, they worked massively amongst the poor. But in his own lifetime, the Salvation Army went to like Australia, the other side of the world. He said this, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think he should say. He was quite a blunt guy, you know what I'm saying? Londoner that really worked here. But he was saying, how could you not have a heart for the nations? You say, I'm not called? I don't think you're listening. That's what he would say if he was here. Isabel Kahn, she was a missionary to China and Thailand. She was a Canadian woman who went to work alongside the radical missionary James Fraser. She gave years of her life to reaching people for Jesus. She said this, I believe that in each generation, God has called enough men and women to evangelize all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call. It is man who will not respond. I think, oh golly, there's been this thing, how do we get the vision for the nations, going to the nation? David Livingstone, many of you have heard of David Livingstone, this great explorer, went through Africa. He took the good news of Jesus with him. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? There was this thing, come on. I I would love to tell you story after story after story that you just thought, these people have got the picture. But I don't want to tell any more stories of the past. I want us to tell stories of the future. You see, there are some people that read history and some people that write history. And I honestly believe that if we're Christians, we're called to be those that write history. Surely this is something we've got to be challenged about. I want to bring the challenge to us when we think of the nations and the Bible. Are we really excited about the gospel going to the nations? Okay. Let's make it hugely practical. How does this impact us? Well, I think the first thing is this. We should be those that genuinely pray for nations. It should be on our heart. 
I know we'd had this globe last week and we broke it up and gave people bits of the puzzle which we'd made and said, pray for the nations. I would encourage you, pray for the nations. They're on God's heart. I think they get on our heart. When you start praying about something, it moves you. You can't sort of pray and be unmoved. The danger is that we listen to bad news maybe about the nations. Actually, we need to literally cry for the nations. Pray for the nations. The second thing I would want to challenge us as a church is we need to be prepared to send to the nations. Mike Stakura, a missiologist, he says this, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Oh, it's funny, isn't it? I always think, oh, if we get more seats and we just believe and God will grow. Actually, he says a great church is not how many seats you can get in here. It's how many people you can send. And I think, oh, God, how do we send? I'm thrilled, and, and people would know this if we're around, that as a church, we're, we're sending money every month to see a church planted in Istanbul. And what we're saying is we've committed to these guys. They were here preaching in, in December. They've gone out there. They've gone there to learn language. They've gone there to learn culture for two years. They're literally just going to live in Istanbul, understanding things, ready to plant a church in 2018. I'm thrilled that we're behind that. I'm thrilled, you know, that we're here. I'm thrilled that when Lazarus came a few weeks back and told us about the ministry to Iran, that as a church, we were able to give £2,000 to him and say, come on, we want to stand with you and what you're doing into Iran. We are sending. I'm thrilled that we're sending money. I'm thrilled that we're standing behind others. I look around and I think, I wonder who will be the first from here that will move to the nations. So they think, oh God, who will it be? God will stir and you think, actually, hey, I'm, I want to be caught up in this thing. And we'll be thinking, great, we want to stand behind. I'm sure we'll have tears thinking, please don't go. But also thinking, oh, but God, we cannot disobey. I think that's surely something that's going to be here. We do want to be those that send to the nations, going to the nations. I think also we want to be those that impact the nations that are here. For some, I don't know, maybe it's 99% of us. We won't leave Ealing. Actually, we won't travel. We'll be the ones that stay. But actually, we'll reach the nations here. I read this week, Ealing's the fourth most diverse place in the whole country. If we want to reach the nations, we could make a difference here. Now, I know that means that we probably have to talk to people that are slightly different to us, invite people over that are slightly different to us listen to different music, got different backgrounds, but you think we could make an impact upon the nations right on our doorsteps. William Borden, he was a Christian missionary to China. He said, no reserves, no retreat, no regrets. I think I would love us all to live with that kind of passion. No reserves, let's not hold it back. No stepping back from it. No regrets, let's do it. And to make this as practical as I really possibly can, on every single chair, there is a why Jesus. Now, we believe this is just a great tool. You could pick it up now just to show that you're really with me. We think this is a fantastic tool. And you think, actually, Pete, how do I go to the nations? What could I do? You could take this. If you've great team preaching, I love it. You could take this. You think you could read it through and think, what is this all about? 
we've had these lying around for the last two, three years. No, these are new ones that I've ordered, this kind of booklet. Someone read it a month ago and said to me, Pete, I read this. This is incredible. Look, this is just a tool, but it's a great tool. I would love every, every single person to say, I'm going to take it home, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray that I can give it to someone. We've often said that on page 18, this is the kind of prayer that we'd encourage you or a friend to pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you, you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you, you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Hey, you could have the the joy of giving this to a friend and praying with them. I'd encourage you all, take one of those. We've got to be those that, that are on mission. Read it. Pray for an opportunity. Give it to a friend. So how do we think the nations? The challenge is, and I speak to myself, and I know I've got to wrap up. The challenge is, we could listen to something like this this morning and suddenly think, oh, Pete, that's another thing to do. I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. The Holy Spirit convicts you the devil condemns you. So if God has spoken something specific to you, pray for this nation, do it. Get involved in something, do it. I would much rather that we had the heart of these believers in Acts 1. What do I mean by that? Well, in Acts 1, it says, when you receive the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. There was something about them that changed totally radically changed. How do I know that? Because you can read across the page in Acts 4, verse 18. These disciples had been talking all about Jesus. Some of the people didn't like it. They ended up trying to throw them into prison. They get called out, and it says, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You see, I don't want the mission to the nations to be a a task. I want it to be a passion. I'll embarrass Russell now because he's a very good friend of mine. And he sat at the back there, and I know he's got season tickets to see the Hammers, you know, next season. Got a couple of them. If I'm friendly, he might invite me along, you know, so let's try and keep it going. You know, his only concern about the, is that we don't have claret and blue enough in the, in the church. I, t- I chat to Russell, and we can always get straight to West Ham and football. His passion. I, I could talk to Melissa, who's a doctor. You know what I'm saying? I looked at a Facebook page this week and there's a discussion about stethoscopes on there. (laughs) Well, that's not my Facebook page, I can reassure you right now. You know what I'm saying? But it is on Melissa's because actually when you prodder, you get the passion. What happened with these believers is they were filled with the Spirit and you prodded them and the passion came out for Jesus. I would love us not to feel like, oh, this is a duty but a delight. You see, I think if we get caught up in this great theme of the Bible, it's not like, 
oh, what are you doing about the nations? It's almost like, oh, Jesus is so wonderful. I, why wouldn't I want to take him to the nations? In fact, Jesus himself told us this was the way to do it. When he spoke to the disciples in uh, it's John 15, he said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we won't win the nations by taking it on as a project. But we could impact the nations by being so in love with Jesus that it just flows out of us. And, and so my hope and my prayer would be, as we're looking at this whole series, is, oh, for more of him. This is why I love the fact that, that we come back to breaking bread each Sunday. Because what this really says is, Jesus, your body was broken for me. Jesus, your blood was poured out for me. You died on the cross in my place. You were separated from God because of my sin. The wrath of God was poured on you so that I could be forgiven. But when I come and I consider that again, I, I won't be able to help but produce fruit outside. People say, God, there is something different about you. Not just because you try and be different, but because you've just been captivated by Jesus. It, it, he will change us completely. So surely we want to be those that are so in love with him. Actually, we're going to get caught up on a mission. Who knows what your love for him will do? Who knows? I want this to be a love adventure. I haven't got a very strong stomach. I'll admit that right now. I cannot do roundabouts, and I'm not very good on the swings. When my kids were small, they used to say, Oh, Dad, come on the roundabout. No, I can't do that. When they're old and you take them to like a theme park, you know, these roller coasters, I can't actually. Nikki is great on a roller coaster. I am not. I used to say, look, I'll look after your bags. And I said, Dad, you're worse. And I said, look, my love for Jesus has taken me on such an adventure for him that I don't need to do a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I know, it was lame. But the reality is, it should be like that. Genuinely, our passion for him could lead to all kinds of adventures. I haven't got a clue. But what I do know is I want to love him so much. Who knows? Genuinely, how many nations we'd impact here? I honestly believe that we are here to make an impact upon Ealing, upon London, and upon the world. We, we, we are an official charity, and one of our charitable objections, uh, objectives, objections, objectives is to bring the gospel to Ealing, to London, and the world. It always seems so big and encompassing, doesn't it? And I love it. Because who knows? Who knows? I love the fact that nations are here. I love the fact that nations are there and we're going to make them. I, I want us to believe. Well, who knows? I haven't got a clue. I got a phone call from India last week. Ah, it'd be great. Would you like to come across? Who knows what God will do? 
I dropped my son at a camp. He's away for three days. Bumped into someone from Istanbul yesterday. Who knows where else we'd go? You just haven't got a clue. We, we've got the privilege, the privilege of making an impact on the nations because of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you gave us this, this commission. We thank you that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. You said, wait. We thank you that the disciples were so radically turned around that they weren't just obscure people from a small village that hadn't traveled the world, but actually something of the ends of the earth gets into their system. Jesus, we want to do this because we love you. We want our love for you to overflow. We want it to overflow to the other people around us here. We want it to overflow into this borough. We want it to overflow into this capital. We want it to overflow into this nation. We want it to overflow. Not that Redeemer is ever heard, but that Jesus is heard. That Jesus is heard. Jesus, we ask, what about us sending people, funding missionaries? What about us welcoming people church planting in South Africa and Tanzania that we can encourage them and bless them and pray for them and get behind them. Oh God, we do want your glory right around this earth. I pray that you use this church for your glory. Amen.